Before we begin our Torah study, would you join me in prayer? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. You know, sometimes we use the word faith in a very modern sense that has no connection to the ancient sense of the word, and we might use it even as a synonym for religion. Well, what's your faith? Well, I'm this or I'm that. And we just name the religious group that we are a part of. But in the scriptures, faith is a relationship word, and it means that there is trust between two parties. So when we have faith in God, we're saying we trust him. And the word faith in Hebrew, emunah, conveys not just trust or belief, but it also conveys the idea of being trustworthy. So we who are full of faith need to be faithful to God. And it's one thing to say that we believe in God. Yeshua did not consider that a very lofty statement. He said even demons are capable of saying that. There is a God. It's a whole other thing to actually trust God and to live in a way that consistently reflects that trust. And Abraham is an example of someone who did trust God and who lived in a way that was consistent with that trust. He's an example of the life of faith and so when we're, th we're thinking about Abraham, we can think about that phrase we were using earlier in the service, emunah kadima, faith forward. Faith in God and faithfulness towards God will move you forward. That's, that's what we learn from the life of Abraham. And we learn from his life that, that you can move forward consistently even though you have battles and struggles. So you don't have to go forward and then lose everything and then try to get back to where you were. You can make progress, you can make more progress. There will be battles, there will be moments of setback. God is the one who in Amidah says, so mech no flim, he lifts up the falling. So even if the righteous fall seven times, they get back up with God's help. If you find yourself stumbling, that's not the end, that's just the moment. If you find your strength uh, has reached its limits, catch your breath and then keep going. God wants us to learn from the life of Abraham that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we have to keep going and going and going, and we can. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter called Romans, that's what we call it in English. He wrote to Italian believers. Do we have any people of Italian lineage here in the room? Anyone here? A few of you over here. Congratulations. The letter of Romans was written to you and to us. But Paul wrote to Italian believers and he wanted to impress upon them that Abraham was an example for them, not just for the Jews. And that they, in fact, as believers in Yeshua, should look to Abraham and to his faith as a model for their own life of faith. 
So before we go into the actual Torah portion, I want to start with a few verses from Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. And you can follow along in, in, in your Bibles. You can find all the scriptures we're going to be using today on, on Facebook, Beth Israel, or at um, Messianic Jewish Teachings Facebook. You can even find them on Twitter if you want. So all the scriptures will be lined up there if you're using electronic Bibles. It, I saw a recent study that, that the younger generations now are, are, who, who read the Bible are using electronic Bibles, digital Bibles, at an increasing rate. And there will be a time when people probably don't use paper Bibles. That's something we all have to get used to. Of course, how many of you like books? How many of you love books? How many of you like to buy books? And to just to own them sometimes is fun. Have you ever bought books because you felt you wanted to have the book, and then you put it on your shelf and you looked at it and admired it but never actually read it? And that didn't stop you from buying the next one. Or the next one, right? Yeah, I'm a lover of books too. I used to love to travel to cities with good bookstores so I could buy books. Now, as, as I grow older, I think about which books am I actually going to read, and those are the ones I want to focus on. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Isn't that a high standard? What a great example. He never wavered. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. What an incredible example. He never wavered, his faith grew stronger. How would you like that to be said about you as well? He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. How powerful. This is like a summation of the things that we're going to look at in detail today. Because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Can you say that with me? Our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Yeshua our Lord from the dead. Now that's very important. Believe in him means something very specific. Not just believe in the idea of God, just, not just having a dogma or a doctrine or a theological position, but believe in him means we trust him. So it's not just believe in him, it's believe him. Trust him. Treat him as trustworthy. This week's Torah portion gives us a very detailed picture of Abraham's faith, and we're going to look at three episodes in Abraham's life of faith from the Torah portion, each of which reveals different aspects of the faithfulness of God we're going to look in some detail, but I want to tell you this. We're not going to cover every aspect of God's faithfulness. So you may be reading along or taking note of different aspects too. I encourage you to do that, to expand the list yourself, to think more deeply. I'm giving you some examples, but it's not meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to encourage you to engage in deeper study. As we're going forward in this study, remember this, God's faithfulness is the foundation of faith. It's not that our forefathers believed certain things or had a religious life of one kind or another. It's God is faithful. 
It's not that we were raised this way or that way that's the foundation of our faith. It's that God is faithful. It's not that we in our club agree on something theologically. It's God is faithful. Everything depends on the faithfulness of God. Let's look at the first episode in Genesis chapter 18. This is an episode that describes God's visitation with Abraham and Sarah and the promise that Sarah would conceive and give birth. We're just going to look at some highlight scriptures here. You can and should read the whole portion yourself. We'll read Genesis 18.10, which says, The Lord said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Two promises declared here, I will surely return to you. And the other one is, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. God was interested in Abraham being a father of many nations, but it wasn't just Abraham that he made covenant with, it was Sarah as well. And that teaches us something, that God is, is honoring both the men and the women of our who were our ancestors, it's not just the guys, but it's the women too. It's not just Abraham who's the father of our faith. It's Abraham and Sarah together who show us what real faith is like. And then let's jump ahead to Genesis 21. Just two verses here, verses one and two. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. I love that, pat, that phrase, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Do you see it's both of them together? It's Sarah here and it's Abraham as well. At the set time of which God had spoken to him. So remember the promise in Genesis 18, I will surely return and Sarah will have a son. And here we have the description of that being fulfilled. God returns as he had said. Say that with me, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Let's say that as he had spoken, as he had said, as he had spoken. She conceived, she bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. I know a lot of young people who want to have kids. I know very few elderly people who want to have kids. I can't think of one right now. We learn three aspects of God's faithfulness in this first episode. The, the first aspect is this, God's timing is perfect. I want you to repeat that with me. God's timing is perfect. You see, God said, I'm gonna come back and Sarah's gonna conceive and here's when it's going to happen and then he does. So God doesn't get it almost right. He's not saying, I'm not exactly sure how these things work and I will approximately be back at the near time. No, he comes exactly when he said he would come. His timing is perfect. You see, Abraham and Sarah trusted the Lord because the Lord had said, I will do this at the set time. And so you and I can trust God in his perfect timing. There are times when God will say to us now, and you know what that means? You're good. That's right. Now means now. And there are other times when he'll say later. 
And what does that mean? You're doing very well. Now means now, later means later. And there are times when we're saying now and the, and the Lord says later, right? You know the story about the guy who, who said he understood the time for God was very different, but he was impatient. And he remembered that, you know, for the Lord, a, a thousand years can be just like a day. So he wanted God to hurry up. And he said, God, I, 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 need, I need this now. And the Lord says, okay, but it'll be just a minute. <laughs> you have to think about that. <laughs> God's timing is perfect. You and I can discover how faith in God includes faith in his timing. We trust him for his timing. When he's working in a certain area, he makes it clear to us, now I'm working, and we need to line up and be ready when? Now. We pay attention. We have to pay attention. We have to get ourselves ready so that we can participate in his perfect timing. Now, we also see a second aspect of God's faithfulness. God keeps his promises. Say that with me. God keeps his promises. Abraham and Sarah trusted the Lord because God does keep his promises. It's not because they were optimists or had wishful thinking. It's because God keeps his promises. What he says he will do, he actually does. And because of that, those of us who follow after Abraham and Sarah in their faith, we walk in the same footsteps of faith that they walk in. We have the same kind of life of faith that they did. We can also trust God that he will keep his promises. Sometimes God will speak to you. He's spoken to people and told them things that are hard to believe. The scriptures say that we need to know that God can do more than we ask or yeah, or even imagine. So God's ability is not limited by your imagination. Sometimes you might think that, that you can ask bigger than God can do. I'm going to ask big. Well, God is bigger than how you imagine things. The third aspect of God's faithfulness is this. God is able to do what he promises. Not only does he make promises, he's able to do what he promises. God is able to do what he promises. Say that with me. God is able to do what he promises. God spoke to Abraham and Sarah, elderly folk, if you will, and said, I have good news for you. Remember that word about you being the father of many nations? Well, now's the time. Sarah laughs. You don't understand, Lord. My body is finished. The time is already over. And the Lord says, why are you laughing? And she says, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and this tells you something. The Lord listens. He said, well, you did laugh. And I tell you the truth, you are still going to have a child. Is it possible at the human level? No. Is it possible with God's help? Yes. That's right. And so Sarah conceived exactly as the Lord had said. It was the will of God to wait. There are times, I think, when the covenant children of Israel, have, they're hard to be born. Does that make sense? It's hard to bring them forth 
Because God wants to do it in such a way that it demonstrates his hand is upon each of those children. That there is a miracle associated and an unlikely set of circumstances as well. Abraham trusted, Sarah trusted the Lord because God is able to do what he says. They could not do in their own power what God said he would do. Sometimes people know what God wants to do, but they don't actually believe that it can happen because in their power it can't happen. And according to their ability to bring things uh, into reality, it's impossible. And yet, as God said to Abraham, is anything too difficult for me? Your ability to imagine how hard it is does not limit God. God is still more powerful than, than your limitations and your imaginations. God, we can trust that God is able to do what he promises. Years ago, back in 1997, I was responsible for, for planting new congregations, Messianic congregations in the former Soviet Union. And we were starting new congregations really at a rate that was faster than we could find people to lead the congregations because it was a whole new era over there. And I was having to find uh, men who, who had a calling, men and women who had a calling to serve together to lead brand new congregations, and I couldn't find enough of them. There was a point where I was desperate. I was praying. I was frustrated. And I just said, Lord, I can't find them. I know you've called me to raise up shepherds for the house of Israel, but I can't find them. And then out of that desperation, I prayed this surprise prayer. Lord, I can't find them. Would you bring them to me? And I don't want to say that the Holy Spirit exactly responded this way, but this is how I understood it. He said, well, duh. That's how I understood it. I, that's how I understood it. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, of course you can't find them. Of course I can bring them. Why didn't you ask me earlier? I've been waiting for you. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this where you've done everything in your power, it's still not enough. You've done your very best, and you've gotten help from others, and it's still not enough. And you run out of resources and ways and means and things to do. And in desperation, you ask God, could you do something more? And you know he loves to put us in those situations. He wants us forever to face situations where no matter how competent we are, no matter how many resources we have, no matter how much experience we have, we won't be able to do everything well. Now, I know for all the type A's in here and the high achievers, this is not good news. I know for people who like to be competent and like to be faithful and are really disciplined and have a good work ethic, this doesn't sound pleasant to you, but it's true. God will put you in situations, as I described, for a reason. The reason is so that you would always know you need him. And if you limit yourself to being in situations where you don't need him, eventually you'll figure out you don't need him. And you'll live your life as if that were true. And then your life will not be a life of faith or faithfulness. 
So God is able to do what he promises even when you can't do in your power. There are many things that God says that he wants to do for us, through us, on our behalf. And we have some ability to contribute to it or, or to help make it happen. But when he gives us a promise or a calling that we cannot fulfill on our own, that becomes exciting. I'll tell you why. When God actually does it, you know he did it. You know it wasn't you. You know he did it. He gets the credit, not you. And you can say, I was not able to do this. Of course, some of your well-intentioned friends will say, well, you did really well. And you'll say, actually, I didn't. He did really well. Now, let me say one thing here just to be clear. I don't believe in being incompetent as a strategy for life. In other words, don't become some kind of helpless, useless, uneducated, unprepared person so that God can do everything. Because he wants you to, to accept responsibility and to get prepared and to be faithful. But even when you do that, you will find you can't do everything in your own power. That's what I'm saying. It's also worth saying is this, that not everyone will experience the faithfulness of God. Abraham trusted God. Abraham was faithful to God and he followed the Lord, those are the keys. If you want to get from God, but you don't want to serve him, you won't experience his faithfulness. You may experience moments of grace, grace and favor towards you, but you won't experience his faithfulness. To the faithful, God shows himself faithful. You want to experience God the way Abraham experienced, maybe not the same details, but the same kind of experience, you have to walk the way Abraham walked, trusting God. This is the key. Let's go to the second episode, episode two. Also in Genesis 18, God tells Abraham that he will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. We're gonna look at Genesis 18, verses 20 through 33. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. The Hebrew actually says the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. So it's a challenging thought. Because their sin is very grave, verse 21, I will go down now. That little phrase in verse 21, I will go down now, is a provocative statement for all Maimonidean Jews. For all Jews who have trusted Maimonides' uh, conclusion that, that God has no corporality, no physicality. Uh, this is a real challenge because the, the Torah is saying, is quoting God saying, I will go down now. And it gets even more challenging as, as we'll see in a minute. I will go down now. Now for Messianic Jews, this is not problematic. We believe that God can come down. Now for that matter, for Moses, it wasn't problematic. Now, Moses Maimonides and Moses Rabbeinu are two different guys. And Moses Rabbeinu was able to, to record in Torah that God came down when he was on Mount Sinai and stood next to him, physically local to him, in the same way that, that we read here that the Lord did with Abraham. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry 
that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So take notice of this, that the presence of God is in a specific place here. God goes down. But let me ask you a question. If God goes down and visits Abraham, is that the only place he's at in the universe? No, he can be in more than one place. In fact, he can be anywhere and everywhere that he chooses to be. So in this way, God is different from us. So God, God is also... Um, omnipresent. He's also able to be anywhere and everywhere. The fact that he is locally present does not limit him from being present any, any other place he wants to be. Verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Of course, some people who have difficulty with the idea that God can come down read that phrase, Abraham still stood before the Lord, as being sort of a, a, a posture of reverence to God, that he, he, was, he was looking to the invisible God who wasn't actually present there. And yet verse 23 makes it clear it was otherwise because it says Abraham came near. And in Torah, when the word translated here came near is used, it's, it's, it's typically, almost exclusively used to describe a physical approach. And so we can read it in that fashion because that's the correct fashion here. Abraham came near to the Lord. In other words, the Lord came down and Abraham came closer to him. Do you get that picture? That's a challenging picture unless you have understood that Torah is trying to convey something to us about the local presence of God and what it means and what it looks like. And then you can take at face value the story of Genesis 18, which is when God visits Abraham, there's some ambiguity about what he looks like. Is he a man? Is he an angel? Is he the Lord? And as you read this, this entire Parsha, you'll see that, that it turns out that, that God manifests himself in these diverse ways, and yet it is the Lord. Sometimes the Lord appears as a man. Now, that's important to us. I was talking to one Orthodox rabbi who said, well, where do you see Yeshua in Torah? I said, I, I see him with Abraham. And that was a shock. Because many people have already said it's impossible. Now, once you say it's impossible, you have to read these passages very, very differently. You have to read out the simplicity of the descriptions and say, I know what it says, but it means the exact opposite. And you can hide behind the idea, oh, this is the, the Torah is written in the language of man. Well, that's not what this is about, because you can convey in the language of man something very clear and precise. And this is clear and precise. And it describes the locality the physical locality of God in that place. Abraham came near and he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now here we see uh, a lesson in negotiating tactics. 
how to negotiate as a Jew with God. Verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, well, indeed now I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of five? And so the Lord says, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. You can see where this is going. And then Abraham spoke to him yet again and said, well, suppose there would be 40 found there. And the Lord says, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then Abraham says, don't be mad at me. But let me say this, suppose it's only 30. And the Lord says, I won't do it if I find 30. And then he said, well, I've gone this far. I've taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And the Lord says, I won't destroy it for the sake of 20. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20. And then Abraham says, please don't be angry. But let me say this one last thing. Suppose 10 would be found there. And the Lord says, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. And then the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking. Now let me just pause again and say verse 33 fits in with the Lord going down and Abraham approaching and the Lord goes his way. You see, it doesn't make any sense to say the Lord goes his way if the Lord isn't even there. Do you get it? If the Lord is imminent, expressed in you know, the, the ethereal invisibility of the universe, if he's not present, then this passage, this next verse makes no sense. The Lord goes his way. He goes his way because he's no longer in the same place and he's moving. He goes his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. You see, each of them goes in their directions. Now let's look at three aspects of God's faithfulness from, from this passage. The first one is this, God is merciful. Say that with me, God is merciful. Abraham understood this, that God is merciful. God is a God of mercy who is looking not to destroy, but to save, to forgive, to spare. And I'd, let me just pause to say, it is difficult in reading this passage to derive clear laws and absolute principles about the judgment of God. You can derive much more about principles of intercession, how the people of God are to take a stand for the sake of mercy rather than for the sake of punishment. But it's hard to use this passage to come up with a principle that binds God to acting in a certain way. Now I know there are many believers, especially in the polarized times that we live in, who, who want their enemies defeated, especially their political, economic, social, cultural, religious enemies defeated, and are looking for any opportunity to quote scripture to God so that God will judge. And yet, that's not the lesson that we take from, from this passage. We, we follow in Abraham's footsteps and we look for every opportunity to plead for mercy. 
You can look as well at the story of Jonah, and even though Jonah was reluctant, he was eager to see Nineveh judged. What he was unhappy with was the mercy of God. Now, Jonah is different from Abraham because Abraham sought mercy and Jonah did not. When God chose mercy, Jonah was unhappy. So it's important to understand that we have to walk carefully regarding rules and principles of judgment. But we should walk boldly regarding principles of intercession, that we can come into that place before God boldly and plead for mercy for everyone who's in need of forgiveness. God is merciful. Abraham trusts the Lord because he knows that God is a God of mercy and Abraham is asking for mercy. Now there's a second thing that goes along with this and it's hard for some people to embrace both sides. God is righteous. Say that with me. God is righteous. He is merciful and he is righteous. Now, in my experience, people like to line up with one side of God. And so there are people who are, they're on the mercy wing, and there are other people who are on the righteous wing, and they argue with each other. They don't like each other's theology. I believe that, that God isn't torn, that he doesn't have two different ways of looking at things. He unites mercy and righteousness, and it's his plan that mercy would triumph over justice, the reason being if justice triumphs over mercy, we're all cooked, we're dead, we're smoked, it's over. That's it. So it's the will of God that mercy triumph, but that does not mean that God is not righteous. He is righteous. And so we have to embrace his righteousness as well. And Abraham trusts in God's righteousness and also says, Lord, I'm appealing to your mercy based on how you will treat the righteous of God. You will spare the faithful. I know that. So Abraham appeals to God's commitment to the righteous, and he asks God to spare all of Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of the righteous there, and negotiates it down to 10. God, if there are 10 righteous, spare the city. So you know what that means? There are not even 10 in the city. Now here's the third thing that many people stumble with. God has authority. Say that with me. God has authority. He's merciful, he's righteous, and he has authority. You know what that means? He gets the last word. Abraham trusts in God's authority. He appeals to God's mercy. He appeals to his righteousness, and yet he bows to God's authority. Abraham accepts God's authority in several ways. God's verdict, his evaluation, his declaration of what's right and what's wrong and God's use of power as well. How do we know what's right and wrong? From the revelation God gives to us. Your conscience can tell you some things, but it's not perfect. The laws of the land can tell you some things. They're not perfect either. The only way you can truly know what is good is if God says that's good. And if... God says it's not good, it's not good. Now I'll say, it's not good. <laughs> I encourage all of you to uh, take your cell phones, put them on buzz or silence or whatever you have to do. Thank you. God has authority 
and he uses his authority mercifully and righteously so we can trust God as he shows his authority. Sometimes, as human beings, we want to have authority, but God is actually the one who has the authority. We have to learn to bow to his authority. That's part of his faithfulness to us. The third episode, the last episode to look at, the Akeda, the binding of Isaac, Genesis chapter 22, we'll start in verse one there. It came to pass after these things. You see, Isaac's been born. We've read about that. He was promised, then he was born. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now how do you say here I am in Hebrew? Hineni. Hineni. And it has several different meanings. Hineni means literally here I am or here am I. It also means at your service. Asusordes. It means awaiting your command. Literally. Uh, it's to be understand, understood that way. It's not just saying... Yo. It's also saying, I stand before you waiting for you to tell me what's next. That's not the only uh, meaning, but when someone answers God in that way, it, has, it carries that meaning. He named me. Verse 2, and then the Lord said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And we see in this that God is giving direction to Abraham. And we can trust the Lord when he gives us direction. But let's keep going to verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, who's now a young man. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and Abraham said, He named me my son. Here I am. You can count on me. And I want you to take notice of the language of intimacy and relationship here. I want you to notice that, that Isaac calls out to Abraham, and, and what does he say? Avraham. Does he say that? No, what does he say? My father, Avi. My father. Because that's even more intimate than calling him by his proper given name. Do you see that? There's some uh, confused theology out there that says unless you call God by some rendering of his proper name, yod heh vav or something like that, you're not addressing him correctly. That's not correct. That is absolutely not correct because the greatest intimate way to address God is to say Abba, Father, Daddy. That's even greater, and we see the example. You see... Uh, don't get lost in theology. Remember the covenant that God makes with us is a relational and familial covenant too, a covenant of intimacy uh, where we are sons and daughters of the living God. And you see this played out. Isaac speaks to Abraham, his father, and says, my father, my father, intimacy, connection. And Abraham says, here I am, my son. And then he says, look, the fire and the wood, but... Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son. You see that? Again, my son. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Avraham, Avraham. This is so 
so challenging. He says, here I am, he named me, the angel of the Lord calls. In most cases, when the angel of the Lord is used to describe someone in the scriptures, it's describing God himself coming down to the earth and, and demonstrating some kind of physicality or some manifestation that's visible, that can be seen. Often the angel of the Lord looks like a man, not like an angel. And so what's unusual is that the angel of the Lord is calling from where? From heaven. Isn't that interesting? So now we know something, that the angel of the Lord exists in heaven and on earth. He's able to manifest himself in both both dimensions, if you will. And he calls Abraham by name, Avraham, Avraham. And so he's, and Abraham says, here I am. And then he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from, what does your Bible say? From me. Okay, again, this is provocative. Provocative because if the angel of the Lord is not the Lord, then... This statement should be, you have not withheld him from him. So here we see again that the angel of the Lord is a representation of God himself. Martin Buber and some other Jewish scholars have acknowledged that one of the reasons why rabbinic Judaism tries to make the angel of the Lord different than he's presented here is because... they don't want anyone to be leaning in the direction of a Messianic Jewish understanding. And you know what that means. You change the rules to fit your conclusions. It's not necessary. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. From me, he says. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Adonai Yireh. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So this third episode shows us three more aspects of God's faithfulness. One is this, God gives direction. Say that with me, God gives direction. God told Abraham what to do. It wasn't that Abraham came up with this great idea. Hey, I got a plan. I'm going to offer my son. No, God said, I want you to offer your son. And this this was both a test and it was something more than a test for Abraham. It was an opportunity for God to definitively say, I'm not looking for humans to offer human sacrifice. So all religious impulse and practice in that direction comes to an end at this point. And all that's reserved is that God would come down himself in a human body and offer himself as a sacrifice. God gives direction. God will give you direction. It may not be what you want, but it's dependable. The second aspect that we see in this episode of, the second aspect of God's faithfulness is that God provides. Say that with me. God provides. You see, Abraham discovered something that, that you'll need to know, that you won't always have the resources that are connected with obedience, that you will be tested because 
you will be deficient and yet God will provide. God will see to it and he will provide for it. The third aspect of God's faithfulness is this. God is the God of resurrection. Say that with me. God is the God of resurrection. Now in this, uh, the writer of Hebrews has insight. Hebrews 11 verse 19 says this. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac actually died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So God is a God of resurrection, and we can trust that God will raise the dead. We can have confidence that the resurrection of Yeshua is in fact a demonstration of God's victory over the power of sin and death. And then let's look at one final episode it's really a summation. It's Abraham's life in review. Paul reviewing Abraham's life. We'll, we'll look once again at Romans 4.20 and then we'll jump to Romans chapter 8. Romans 4.20, this is where we started this morning. Abraham never wavered. Say that with me. Never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Let's say that. His faith grew stronger. And in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Let's say that God is able to do whatever he promises. That's how the Apostle Paul summed up the faith, the life of faith of Abraham in speaking to Gentiles, speaking to Romans who were not of Jewish descent but had been joined in. And then we go to Romans 8.28 where Paul is reflecting on how all of this life of faith works, and he offers this assurance. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. You see, the conditions are you have to love God, and you have to not only be called, but you have to embrace that call that's on your life. Abraham trusted the Lord because he knew God's plans were for good, and he embraced those plans. It wasn't easy. I can't think of one old man who would say, I'd be glad to be a father at 100. How many guys in the room have said, we've had enough kids already? <laughs> we know what we're talking about, right? How many women over the age of 70 are thinking, I would just like to have a baby? grandchildren maybe, right? Bring them on and then take them home. <laughs> but Abraham and Sarah, they embraced the whole thing. They saw that God was at work. You and I can be confident of this. God is trustworthy. We can trust him. God is faithful. You can put your faith in him. It's not blind faith. It's faith that sees Abraham saw God at work and understood that God was faithful. Yeshua came to show us the faithfulness of God and to make a way for every one of us to be reconciled to God and to have atonement for our sins. When you're wondering, where do I get that atoning sacrifice? You know the answer to that. Yeshua paid that price for you. You look to that sacrifice. In Yeshua, we have forgiveness. We have a personal, intimate relationship with God. It was always God's plan, and this is the radical word of Torah, the radical message, to bring people into a direct, intimate relationship 
with God. That's God's plan. It's not his plan that we would hide away in a religion. Religion is a word that used to mean what binds us together. But the actual thing that binds us together is God and our faith in him. That brings us together. But it's possible to be religious and not to be a person of faith. It's possible to be very religious and to have no faith at all. What we see in the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the prophets, is they did not just have an outward religious life, they had a true spiritual life. And they had, they had intimate, personal relationship with God. That's the standard. If you want to follow in Abraham's footsteps, that's the standard. Not everybody does. But I tell you this, the scriptures of our people are explicitly clear. God is the God of Abraham. God is the God of Isaac. God is the God of Jacob. You see, he's presenting himself this way. The God of Israel is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the offer. You don't want that offer? Look elsewhere. Not to the God of Israel. That sounds sassy, doesn't it? I meant it. You can put your trust in God and all he's done for you through Yeshua. You can be confident of that. It's not foolishness, it's radical faith. And it's faith like Abraham had that became the foundation for the Jewish people and became the pattern for everyone who walks in faith with the God of Israel and his Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be men of faith, women of faith, children of faith, young men, young women, old men, old women of faith. We want, all of us want to be faithful to you. And we acknowledge this, you are faithful God. You are faithful, your word is true, you speak and it comes to pass. You are not only our creator, but you are our Lord and our Father in heaven. Thank you for loving us, thank you for calling us, thank you for knowing us. Thank you for desiring intimate relationship with us. We respond by saying, Hineni, here I am, Lord. I want to come close to you. I want to be used by you. I want to be sent out by you. Use us, Lord. We await your command. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Can everyone stand up? You don't want to stand alone. I don't want to stand alone. Thank you, Rick. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.